0: What's up, everybody? You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching,
1: where neurodivergence
0: meets coaching,
1: meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah.
0: We're your co-hosts.
1: We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching.
0: So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us.
1: Neurodivergently Coaching starts now.
0: Now. (laughs) Last week, we played with getting even more real with minimal editing and we like it. We like it a lot and we decided we're just going to keep it that way. It was so much ease. It was freeing and... I didn't want to be controlled by judgment. How did you feel about it, Deborah?
1: I think it might have been our best episode yet. Um, I'm—I I really feel like we're starting to hit our stride, and that's a little bit about playing. Well, it's lot—a lot about playing with the technology in this environment, right? Yes. Oh,
0: we're podcasters now, so listeners buckle up because today we're breaking down misconceptions and how our relationship with the truth as we know it led us directly to neurodivergently coaching go ahead deb why don't you go ahead and take it away with your amazing definitions and facts and research you listeners know how we do it in the beginning
1: And, you know, this one feels quite vulnerable because I am taking you and the listeners down into the rabbit hole and pattern-seeking machine that is my mind. And so it feels a bit vulnerable, but I'm also really excited to take you on this journey. And so I want to start with sort of my journey through academia and learning. Uh, And as I shared in a previous episode, I was the smart kid that just could not find my way to seeing high school through to the end. And then as an adult, I sort of wandered through three colleges, completing any program that was close to my passion of figuring out this human experience. So I took three different certificates, one in training and development, one in organizational psychology, and the third in career counseling. And this is where this is kind of as far as I could get in academia without having a a high school education. My father was a groundbreaking educator. And when he passed away seven and a half years ago, it gave me the the thought process and and admittedly the privilege to find a way to really realize my dream of completing a university degree and at that time i found a way to enter a master of education program and once i did that i was kind of hooked and i just didn't feel done i was in love with the subject matter that i was researching, which actually was the profession of coaching, I decided to embark on the doctoral path that didn't quite work out. And so I ended up becoming a practitioner researcher and that's kind of who I am today. And as I wandered through all of this sort of academic process through college and university um, and through different disciplines, I really started to notice that the theories that were grounding so much of organizational psychology, adult education and career development were one and the same. So the same theorists and the same theories I was studying, or I had now studied from three different perspectives. And the interesting thing that really came to roost to me at that time is that those theories are the foundational theories of the profession of coaching. So coaching is uh, rooted in psychology and organization psychology, in uh, adult education and in career development. And the thing is, is that coaching itself does not really have its own distinct theoretical roots we are drawing from these disciplines. So that is one thread that I wanted to pull through. And then the second thread is what I started to learn as I became a researcher about the ethics of research. So one of the things that we are taught in graduate studies is how to think critically about what we know to be true. We are also taught to conduct reviews of what has already been researched, what has already been written on the subjects that we intend to research. And the literature review process also teaches us to discern things like what are the researchers known biases or what are their schools of thought, how does the researcher come to know what is true. And perhaps most importantly about the ethics of researcher is understanding that in order to do research with human subjects, there are actually international agreements and bars and gates that I need to pass in order to do research and that we all need to pass in order to do research on human subjects. So what's really got my attention there as an empath and as somebody who is, fascinated with ethics, is that prior to the existence of those agreements, research, including research in psychology, had a history of serious human rights violations. And so that is the second thread that I want to pull. So why do I pull that thread? And how do I connect that complexity of ethics? So these very same gates that were developed to protect all humans from human rights violations in research have also created some barriers for who researchers work with. And the pattern that my brain then begins to see is that the primary set of theories we draw from in the profession of coaching are originated from Eurocentric adult, white men and the majority of what we believe to be true today that is what we know as empirically researched was research where subjects were primarily university students why because this is the easiest subset of humans that we can gain ethical research approvals for and and I should also say that when I talk about this I'm really talking about social science research so what this piece means is that studies that created the theories we know today used only a small subset of the human population a subset that is overwhelmingly white and privileged to have access to university in the first place there is a small body of critical theorists like myself who are looking at the roots of what we know and those uh, critical theorists and researchers like myself are only beginning to bear these strings that I pull together out as the truth.
0: Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I find this so fascinating. Wow, as someone who is later in life, (laughs) interested in history, or my history, I believe that understanding the foundational aspects of coaching is so pivotal. It serves as a, like a compass guiding us towards the future. Like the saying, if you don't know where you come from, How are you gonna know where you're going? So hearing you talk about this, this subject and all of your research has put so much language to my unconscious experiences. And now I'm going to be more consciously aware of the coaching waters we swim in. I am so grateful to you Deb for sparking this DEI intellectual journey conversation. So (laughs) now I'm so eager to continue exploring this topic, especially as it pertains to neurodiversity.
1: Yeah, so still more to unfurl on this rabbit hole of a path Uh, but i do want to say that this is kind of where my journey starts to meet terry's and meet yours the listener and then of course meets neurodivergently coaching so as i wandered through academia the question began to bubble up for me uh, and i started conducting research uh, what coaching models are being used in coaching clients who experience marginalization or barriers. I also started looking at how do we equip coaches to enter these coaching conversations. And so in this way, my research and practice were nicely informing each other as I was kind of uh, doing the learning and the reading, I was also practice, uh, this was also becoming part of my practice. And so eventually I left academia, but the subject matter just, it just really grabbed me and I wasn't done with it. And so I became an independent researcher practitioner. And that was kind of sort of an unshackling of what I could research what I couldn't research. And at the same time, it was around the time of the murder of George Floyd. And at that time, coaches were being called upon in a big way to support leaders and their organizations and their own personal journeys towards this global reckoning. And yet, the critical theorist in me recognized that the underpinnings of our whole profession were falling short to prepare coaches to effectively do this work. And the more I started to critically consume the research, what I noticed was, uh, particularly where it related to research in DEI and where that came together with coaching, that there was only a mention, really a passing mention of disability inclusion and noticing that in leadership coaching, again, very little disclosed disability. So all of this became this gorgeous rabbit hole, at least I thought it was, of curiosity, which uh, converged with my interest in my training and my passion and working with neurodivergent leaders. And when I started to bring neurodivergence and leadership and coaching together, the more apparent it became that there was a need for both research and practice. And so the culmination of all of this is where we land today. We, Terry and I, we refer to neurodivergently as either alternately an adverb or an adjective it is our lens through which we coach it's about how we coach and who we coach and who we are as coaches and my dear listeners if you've made it this far this (laughs) is where i meet you today having journeyed through this rich um, landscape of academics and pattern making and research and ethics and finally here towards practical application?
0: Oh, Deb,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you have...
0: Listeners, she has an unparalleled ability (laughs) to absorb vast amounts of information. It is truly a gift. And it is rumored that Bill Gates
1: is also (laughs) this way.
0: Also, a neurodivergent human being.
1: You know, I was so, gonna, I was gonna say, Terry, that um, the unparalleled ability I think probably has more to do with my my neurotype.
0: <laughs> yes, that is totally what I'm getting at. <laughs> totally what I'm getting at. So you are such a strong educator and i am so happy to be on this journey with you in partnership because what's better than one neurodivergent head it is two neurodivergent (laughs) heads and my perspective leads me to break down some misconceptions about coaching and neurodivergence and i want to start by saying that We cannot go to the doctors and get diagnosed neurodivergent. A person may have a medically diagnosed condition and call themselves neurodivergent, but we do need to recognize that there is difference between a medical diagnosis and identifying oneself as belonging to a social movement and members of the movement may or may not have a medical diagnosis. Self-diagnosis is so very common. So that is the number one misconception. I think that was first the most important (laughs) misconception. I also want to address that we do as coaches and what this means. So as coaches, it's important to recognize our professional boundaries. We cannot diagnose our clients as we are not therapists, psychologists, or psychiatrists. However, what we can do is develop a heightened awareness and suspect potential neurodivergences in the room. Maintaining a constant state of curiosity while acknowledging that certainty is elusive, unless the client discloses is key. As someone who is neurodivergent, I frequently encounter comments that demonstrate a lack of understanding about the range of experiences within this community. Some of these comments can be harmful because they're microaggressions and invalidate the difficulties faced by neurodivergent individuals, so there's comments like "What you look normal?" <laughs> I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> or "You don't look like you have ADHD." This just really, really reflect a lack of awareness about the diverse experiences individuals with, say, ADHD may have. While such comments may be well-intentioned, coaches must be mindful of their impact and aim for empathy and understanding when interacting with clients navigating neurodivergent challenges. Many people believe that all individuals with neurodivergent conditions such as ADHD have the same experiences. However, this is another misconception that can hinder coaches from fully understanding and supporting their clients' unique realities. As coaches, it's important to acknowledge and avoid these common pitfalls and strive for a better understanding of the diverse experiences of our clients. By doing so, we can better be better support to those we work with.
1: You know, I love this, Terry. how we come to this place together and from such different intersectional perspectives. And as you were, talking just then uh, uh, about our unique experiences. I want to just put a a placeholder teaser about our next episode, where we'll be talking about, you know, what might be common between neurodivergent conditions and what might be individual. And so I'll just put that there as a teaser placeholder. We'll talk a a little bit more about it uh, at the end of the show. Yay. (laughs) But I'm not done with the rabbit hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we know. Oh, we know.
1: <laughs> so let's carry on down the path and talk about what this might mean where it comes to coach training.
0: Mm, yes, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, since we are discussing our relationship with the truth as we know it, that leads us to neurodivergently coaching. I would like to pull a couple of your threads, Deb. Based on our acknowledgement that the foundation of our profession, were not fully supporting coaches in their work. It coincided with my initiation into DEI leadership education. After the murder of George Floyd, this was a period when diversity, equity and inclusion classes were in high demand, my classes were full, expensive, and totally worth it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I also noticed a surge in coaches incorporating inclusive language into their social media profiles, adding in a little belonging here, a little inclusion there. And this prompted me to start to reflect and question the performative aspect of these changes. Like you also said earlier, I too observe also, in the DEI spaces, only passing mention of disability inclusion, kind of checking the box, oh, yeah, and disability. Notably, in the leadership coaching space, there is very little disclosed disability. We are here. We are just hiding in plain sight. I. Also, always wonder how coaches were going to become allies in this effort because equity and inclusion are no longer optional, but necessary for everyone. We are not equal based on societal standards. We are always striving towards equality. When I saw your profile, Deborah, it just rang so true about DEI supervision and neurodiversity. And I knew right then and there, I needed to learn more and I needed to meet you. And that was it. Neurodivergently coaching was conceived. (laughs)
1: And what a natural and smooth coming together it has been. I think our listeners might be surprised to know that Terry and I have only known each other for a short period of time. And yet it it really does feel preordained that neurodivergently coaching would be our thing. Yeah. So where it comes to coach training and where I kind of come into this again in the pattern seeking mind and reconnecting it kind of to where I've come from, from a reach research perspective. When I look at the profession of coaching, and, and I as a North American coach, I, um, I am part of the ICF International Coaching Federation uh, membership. But it took me in looking broadly, globally, and then through the ICF's eyes, That our initial coach training is conducted to essentially teach to the test of the ICF's competency-based framework. In other words, it's really, it may not be the right place to critically consider our own personal biases in coaching uh, and the potential biases of the very bedrocks of coaching. At that point, coaches are just trying to learn a new skill. And you know, I think there's some good work going on in the coach training space. But we always need to remember, like, I'm really a process oriented person. And so it took me a while to get my head around the fact that um, initial coach training has really one goal, and that is to equip coaches with a new skill. And that is why we have competency based frameworks and competency based assessments. And so where this left me for my research and my practice is that the place that I can best serve as provocateur so far is in challenging coaches to build on their initial coach training through continuing professional development, which is also known as CPD, and, all, and through coaching supervision, which is kind of a fancy word in, uh, for supporting other coaches to develop a critically reflective practice. And so i'm curious terry having said that where does the rubber meet the road for you in coaching what does it mean for you
0: yes the intersectional perspectives (laughs) (laughs) well what does it mean for me in coaching regarding my view in coaching i perceive it as a dynamic process focused on establishing present to future orientated goals in contrast therapy however addresses emotional and psychological concerns mental health conditions aiming for the healing of past wounds and insight into behavioral patterns I strongly believe that a combination of coaching and therapy or other specialized professionals can have a beneficial impact on clients' well being. I was talking to a friend about this, another coach. And she gave me such a beautiful analogy and I decided to bring it here for the podcast to you listeners. And it is an analogy that describes the difference between therapists and coaches. So therapists are like archeologists. They play the role of detective, investigating the mysteries of the past through careful excavation and analyzing of artifacts they piece together the story of ancient civilizations and uncover the secrets of our history on the other hand coaches are architects visionary authors creating blueprints for the future and shaping their experiences of generations to come. They design buildings that will shape our our skyline, both contributing to the ongoing narrative of human existence. While archaeologists explore layers of history buried beneath the ground, architects shape the world above, both playing crucial roles in our understanding of the past and the future. So that's just a little visualization (laughs) for all you visual leaders out there (laughs) of the differences. So in neurodivergently coaching, I acknowledge diverse coaching approaches and apply them as needed. It's a creative process that involves engaging with the creative minds of neurodivergent individuals. I take pride in playing a pivotal role in empowering my clients and offering compassionate support. Understanding how different neurodivergent groups navigate the world creatively is so paramount. As individualized approaches are necessary in coaching, as no two brains are identical. This emphasis on neurodivergent education and embracing the uniqueness of each client contributes to a more effective and inclusive coaching practice. Right, yeah.
1: Deb? Indeed. And, and you know, uh, in my latest training, when I was training as a coaching supervisor, one of the things that we're, we're, we're taught is that anything that comes into the coaching arena is fair game for discussion, like anything that's happening in the system. And what was so what I feel like so compelled to say right in this moment is that as you were talking about excavation, I need to point out that there is some excavation going on just outside my window. And so for the listeners, if there's background noises that we're probably not going to edit out, just know, just know that 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 is the case that there there's some excavation going on within this podcast and in the system of this podcast. So So I want to say that's one string I wanted to pull forward, but there's another one that I wanted to pull forward as well uh, about allied professionals. And so, you know, there's diagnosis, and then there's the rest of your life. And within the rest of your life, there's this buffet of uh, folks who you who if you're neurodivergent, that you might want to put on your team, so to speak. So there is a buffet of allied professionals. It might be, it might be, um, you know, as you say, you might have the continuing services uh, of a therapist or uh, a psychiatrist or psychologist, particularly a psychiatrist, if you have um, ongoing prescriptions. Uh, maybe social worker, but there are other allied professionals that we may want to have in our networks, uh, folks like occupational therapists Mm -hmm. and physical therapists. And so I just kind of wanted to pull that string forward that we are part of um, a wider system that may have begun prior to diagnosis, but it certainly is part of the team that one needs to assemble post-diagnosis. And coaches are amazing for this. Uh, Coaching can really be um, an element of helping the the coaching client or the leader to uh, recognize and assemble their team from what is a buffet that they may not have even known was possible. Um, and, and an example of this um, in the UK there uh, where, frankly, so we're here in North America and Canada and in the UK, where I find the scholarship and practice is is generally a little bit further ahead than we are in North America. I just learned about a program called access to work, and if I understand the program correctly, um, it provides uh, a limited number of coaching sessions. Um, and it may provide some funding that is discretionary for the person and access to work, of course, being so that they can um, support themselves and choose from this buffet of, of supports to uh, help them to uh, employment and to uh, staying employed. So that's you know, one example of where allied professionals are starting to be recognized in this world. But in terms of coaching this is some about my experience as a person who is neurodivergent and i know there's more of you out there i know there are we're just right now we're hiding in plain sight and we're assembling you um, and looking forward to working with you but that is part of the i am part of the system in in which we are coaching so that is my own identity and it's some about the the working working with the leaders who might be diagnosed or undiagnosed disclosed or undisclosed with their employers and whose coaching agenda might directly or indirectly relate to neurodivergence so as a researcher first i'm noting that there is very little out there that is specific to coaching neurodiversity at work and even less where it comes to coaching leaders at work who might or might not be neurodivergent. So some ideas that I would love our listeners to consider along this journey is that first of all, neurodivergence is already, already part of your practice. Your clients might just be hiding in plain sight. Also, as Terry mentioned, you may go to a doctor to get diagnosed but you are not getting diagnosed as neurodivergent. You may be getting diagnosed with a medical condition and you may identify yourself as part of the neurodivergent movement, which is a social movement. And so for as coaches, it means that we will be serving our entire practice and the profession as a whole by doing the personal work to learn and to understand this entire uh, universe of coaching and neurodivergence. And I want to say, considering the primacy of the idea of first do no harm. And really what that means is consider your own ethics, what your what are the boundaries of your practice? How do you support yourself in terms of continuing professional development and reflective practice? Developing a robust referral network for, as I uh, mentioned, for allied professionals. And once you've done all of that, think critically again about who you are and what you know. Um, My calendar is really filled with engagements of speaking to large coaching benches entire global gatherings of coaches about what we know from practice on this topic. And you can join Terry and I on this journey through our community neurodivergentlycoaching.com. There are opportunities there for you. The podcast is always pre released. We have a community gathering coming up. We hope that you will join and and uh, it's kind of like a meet and greet. We'll have more of that. And this spring. We will be starting two groups for coaches to bring reflective practice uh, to this topic. So, if you are an ICF coach, you might be able to qualify for CCEUs or continuing coach education units because this is primarily a supervision space that we're creating. Um, one of our groups is already full, Terry. <laughs> So thus, the need to create the second one. And we hope that folks will join us.
0: Yes, I, gosh, I know. It's so funny that our group is already full. So, yeah, come join the community. Come educate yourself and humble yourself and learn more with us. Be a part of this neurodivergently coaching movement. Because just like Deb said, neurodivergence is already a part of your practice. So what are you gonna do about that? (laughs) (laughs) And I do wanna also add, pull a thread from what you were saying about the allied professionals I have an amazing acupuncturist and massage therapist and chiropractor. He's kind of all jumbled up into one human that right before burnout or whatever starts taking place, I just make an appointment and it is a necessity self-care tool.
1: <laughs> you know, I want to I, I add to that by saying that that the idea that you can engage that prior to entering into a period of burnout there's a hundred percent a mindful element to that and a metacognition element to that that allows us with some training and some learning and some coaching that can allow us to look at where we are on the journey and see Uh, potentially remove ourselves from that and see what might uh, lie ahead, and get us um, to a place where we are resourced enough to uh, uh, potentially avoid or elongate the time between or recover more quickly from burnout. And mindfulness is 100% a part of that, I think.
0: Yes, I totally agree. And learning more and more about ourselves and understanding how this neurodivergent brain body nervous system works yeah so closing thoughts
1: yeah so um one thing i want to say i mentioned about scholarship from the uk um and there are two folks in particular i'm thinking of charmaine Roche and jonathan passmore you can find them on LinkedIn, you can pick up uh, any contacts you like by connecting with me on LinkedIn, uh, where I actually am posting, uh, I think I just posted this morning, uh, episode four, uh, episode 104. So um, you can connect with me there. And those are some of the resources that are from the rabbit hole. And I think we do want to sort of bridge to closing at this moment. Yes. So I love how Deb started this, who do
0: we wanna be? What is our role here? And I am your guide on this journey, a voice unyielding to fear and control. My vision is to be the hope for our future, disrupting unhealthy patterns Healing isn't concealment. It's the power to share openly. Through my joys and challenges, I foster community, raise awareness, and break silence. I speak up to inspire, reflection, growth, and connection in those who resonate with my story. Deb's doing the
1: heart (laughs) side. I love this. I love this. And my role here, provocateur, invoking conversations that need to be had. I am articulate truth teller, at least I hope you think I'm articulate. I am a teller of stories that need to be told. And one thing I know for certain is I am an outsider who belongs and that my voice is absolutely necessary in this dialogue.
0: Mm. So next week, Deb already kind of dropped our teaser. And I'm so thankful she did because it fits so perfectly in that little pocket. (laughs) We are going to discuss that there is no single normal And what is common and what is different between us as neurodivergent coaches and clients? Gosh, is there
1: anything else or is that a wrap? That is Um, a wrap on another insightful episode (laughs) of Neurodivergently Coaching. Before we go, we have
0: to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Terry. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis, or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here.
0: Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe like and please share and if you're a coach connect with us at neurodivergently.com the online community
1: that's (laughs) neurodivergentlycoaching.com
0: thanks (laughs) them and of course we're on linkedin please follow us
1: so until next time keep coaching neurodivergently